0: This is the Grace Road Show. This is Kevin Maloney, lead pastor of Grace Road Church, joined today by Cody Wilbanks and Andrea Burke. And we are excited to come to you now with the second wave of the Grace Road Show, Grace Road Show Season 2. Um, how's it been? Uh, we haven't done any of these shows for almost a couple months now. What What have the two of you been up to? How is the pandemic treating you?
1: Um, our chickens are laying eggs. For those of you who have been dying to know the update on the chickens, we finally have eggs.
0: Nice. Have you actually, like, eaten some of them?
1: Yes. Wow.
0: <laughs> nice. That
1: is the goal.
0: Nice. Yeah. Well, I assume. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, we just collect them on the shelf until they rot. <laughs>
0: well, I didn't know if they just laid the first ones, like, today, and you haven't, like, made eggs yet. I didn't know what. Maybe you're, maybe you're selling them. Maybe you set up a little stand outside your house. Right. That
1: would be fun. We'll have to do that at some point, because at the rate that they're laying, we cannot consume that many eggs in the that amount of time.
0: So. Oh, are you kidding? We'll come over with baskets. <laughs> we, we consume eggs like crazy at our house. So chickens are laying eggs. What else is happening? Cody? Uh,
2: yeah, you know, I mean, our summer, I think has been pretty, uh, similar to most people, um, had to cancel a vacation, uh, I had to, <laughs> to stick around here, uh, but we're trying to make the most of it. Um, yeah, no, as far as our family, actually, we kind of walked into a nice season for our family. We, uh, bought a house. So we're super thrilled about that. Nice. Closing um, week or two. Yeah. Here in supposed to be a week and a half. Nice. That's the plan. Yeah. And then found out we're expecting another uh, baby, having a little
0: boy this time, a son. That's awesome. Yeah. Three so, girls and a boy. That's the way to go. Yeah, there it is. Very cool. And so when do you guys do? Uh, beginning of the year. Nice. Yep. Nice. Awesome. So something to look forward to in this pandemic yeah, absolutely, absolutely. good and uh church is sort of open so we've been kind of meeting um cody you've been there andrea not yet and that's uh still a weird season for us any thoughts on on the reopening on how that has gone and what that's been like i think i mean overall it seems like
2: it's been a really good spirit you know, everybody, you know, obviously it's frustrating to have to abide by regulations that we're not used to, but I think when, when we really do see it as a joy to gather with God's people, those are, those are small asks, uh, to get together and sing and sit under the teaching of the word, the fellowship, you know, a mask really isn't that bad. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've really missed being, I'm, for those of you who don't know, I have, I'm high risk. So we've opted to stay home by our doctor's advice and not, go very many places um but like knowing that the church is getting together i have this feeling of like it's genuine fomo like i miss the the feeling of like we're all in this together i have missed that that feeling of like we can you know you look at other people and be like at least we're all doing this together yeah um so knowing that the church is gathering that has been like a little sad to not be with everybody but um I know that there's a lot of people who aren't coming back yet too
0: so yeah we're only it's only about a third of the people that have uh come back or at least a third of the numbers I think there's some people who are kind of like tentatively popping in once in a while right now and and we're not rushing people back I think there are people in your situation where they shouldn't come back yet or should wait it out The other people who just don't feel comfortable with it yet and don't even know exactly what they're waiting for but we're still not trying to pressure them like it's a weird thing um it's our first pandemic and hopefully our last. And so we don't really have a good playbook to operate by. I mean, even previous pandemics globally, they happen in the absence of the kind of technology we have. And so, so there's almost nothing to compare this to. And so we don't really have a great reopening plan other than, you know, once things get back to normal, then people will come back again. But it is like um, getting together with the church does make a huge difference. Um, And not to like, pile on your FOMO, Andrea, but it's uh, just uh, to be able to to get together with with other people and sing songs together and like look around the room and see other people who believe and 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 to feel that camaraderie, because camaraderie is not a word that I would use to describe a lot of the interactions that we have with church people when it's just through email. Um, there is media. Yeah, there is there is some of that. But but most of what we have interacted with are uh, a lot of criticisms through email during this season, um, and it's probably not that much more than usual. But it's just b- when that becomes like the main thing that we're doing, it can feel like oh man, are we are we in this together? But then just to get together and sing the songs together, look around the room and see people who are like glad to be there, worshiping Jesus together, is it we're made for that like we're we're made together in worship and so it's uh it's an important part of what we're doing and so even that little thing that we have now is is just super refreshing uh for for people who can make it so it's been it's been good to be refreshed by it but yeah, it's awkward like the the masks the the distancing uh even our our most packed service feels like the 8 a.m. service used to feel, which is kind of like, oh, there is nobody here um, just because we're, we're spread out. Uh, I'm really glad we've had amazing weather so that we can kind of dismiss from there and then hang out out on the street or Liberty Pole Plaza. Uh, that's been good. And so we don't know how long this lasts, like if there's another wave this fall or something, we may have to go back to some more closures. Like we have no idea, but this is just a little bit of a breath of fresh air. So that's been been good.
1: Yeah, I look forward to to talking to people not over Zoom. Like I saw oh my I saw the staff. I saw you guys a couple of days ago. It was the first time I had seen you guys in person in, I don't know, six months, yeah. something like that. And it just felt weird to be like, oh, I'm actually looking at you. <laughs> like, right. And you're like, like, you're a real person. I felt way too excited and elated to be like in person with you guys again. I was like, boy, this is, I need to get around people.
0: <laughs> I've had to like, <laughs> like readjust to eye contact. Yeah, and to be able to, to, to not have to say, Hey, you're muted. Yeah. You're muted. <laughs> <Neither are> you. <laughs> now the downside is you can't multitask because to be honest, like in a lot of zoom meetings, we can be doing stuff on the cell phone. I mean, have, have we not gotten good at holding that right up next to the webcam, so it looks I like know. we're making eye contact with, with someone in reality. We're checking our texts. Um, I tried I never that at dinner. That. It was awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So difficult days still for sure. And uh, we're looking forward to the day when everything is normal again. And honestly, I am optimistic about that. And I don't have a, a crystal ball or anything like that. But my prediction, based on not being a scientist or a doctor, but but being able to Google, is <laughs> I think we're close to normal by Easter.
2: Well, that sounds very authoritative. So I'm going to trust you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If I were to put on a white lab coat and I said that, would you uh, trust me even more?
1: Oh my gosh! You weren't. Do you say you want less emails? I mean, this- yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can edit still, so so I can decide what makes the cut here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this this will be over. Like, I think to to encourage people who are kind of in the same boat as Andrea, like, when can we ever come back? pandemics don't last long times. Like, I mean, they can last maybe a couple of years, but they do go away. So I think it's going to go away. I th- like, it, Not like a, in a magical way. I think eventually this thing will be gone, whether it's through a vaccine or burning itself out or getting weaker or something like that. I don't think they last forever. Um, so.
1: Well, and I think the psychological shock has to wear off. I just like you were saying, like just the initial what is going on what does our life look like now how do how do we even interact with people um, cuz i was thinking if my if if my health professionals were like hey you're good to go you're you're good to go back to normal everything i don't even know if i'm like psychologically ready to agree with that even yeah. though it's a, like a true fact my mind isn't ready so if i'm feeling like that i can't imagine how other people are feeling i think there's just going to be a ripple effect of like whoa what just happened like what did we just go through in the fact that it's not over yet right you know so that's going to take some time
0: yeah and for people who haven't been back yet it is still awkward like we don't know what to do like we're not supposed to shake hands and things like that so we don't know what to do with like physical contact and there are some people at church who are just like still going in for the hug and (laughs) and then others who are not doing that and then I don't want to be like the hub of disease like it used to be that I would shake hands with hundreds of people on a Sunday morning. Um, I don't want to do that now. So I feel like I'm even, I, mean, I was awkward before COVID when it came to you know, hugs and physical contact. Now I just am just crazy weird. I just pull my mask <laughs> over my eyes and shriek and people give up on the the attempt to shake my hand.
1: <laughs> You've got to get one of those um, hand buzzer things for when people shake your hand. Oh, that's that, like, a great never- idea. Yeah.
0: yeah a hand buzzer or maybe just like always keep a handful of hand sanitizer so if someone comes up to shake my hand and just splat every time <laughs> <laughs> it's just gross so gross <laughs> can't be too safe Gosh. Hey, speaking of hand sanitizer, today we're starting a series on <laughs> the the seven deadly sins. Um, we decided that we'll spend seven episodes of the Grace Road show talking over uh, what historically have been called the seven deadly sins, uh, seven big areas of sin that can creep into a Christian's life and that exist out in the world. Um, but when we look for seven deadly sins in the Bible, we don't find that list. So what do we mean when we call them deadly? And what is the origin of of this list is there like some kind of authority behind calling these the seven deadly sins what what's that all about scholar in residence cody <laughs> well i have never uh, consider myself a church history scholar
2: at all but uh, as you said yeah there, you don't find this list anywhere in scripture like there's not you know the lord says these are the seven deadly sins for the believer or something like that you, you'll find lists similar to them Places like Proverbs six or Galatians five, uh, but uh, you know some people trace this back to um, uh, you know the the sixth century Pope Gregory the Some earlier than that, uh, it's written about a lot by Thomas Aquinas. Later, after all of that, in the seven deadly sins is this list, maybe our listeners have heard of them. The list is lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath. Envy and pride, the idea being these are deadly. In other words, these are the root um, root sins of all sins. Uh, that was kind of the idea, the theological idea. So sometimes they were called capital sins. So if you think of capital punishment, you know th- that's a punishment that leads to death, right? And so these sins lead to death. That was the the theological idea. Um, and so, and and then also like in church history, there was like the counter side of that there, there were like the seven virtues. So there was the seven deadly sins, but then there were seven virtues to kind of outweigh those. And so uh, that would come to be known as kindness, temperance, uh, charity, chastity, humility, diligence, and patience. And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of like the quick rundown of of what we mean by the seven deadly sins. What
0: is, what has become known as that throughout church history. Um, do we accept that label of capital sin though uh as opposed to some other sins that are not necessarily capital sins yeah i mean we would
2: be probably have a different view than this Right. right? (laughs) right so a lot of this does stem through the catholic church certainly the catholic church holds a different classification of the different sins there's mortal sins what what this would be known as a capital sin Uh, or venial sins, but kind of like the minor sins that don't change your status before God, but maybe you need to do some kind of works of penance, a capital sin, meaning you would, you know, you've fallen from grace, like you're standing before God has changed. Obviously, we believe all sin, all sin is falling short of the glory of God and deserving of eternal judgment,
0: right? So so does that mean, I I agree completely that uh, the wages of sin is death, and it doesn't, you know, say the wages of these seven sins Is death, the wages of these other sins are a spanking of some sort. Um, But does that mean that we believe all sins are equal in weight?
1: Dropping a bomb on us. (laughs) Um, It's interesting. I think that scripture talks about some sins differently. Uh, Sexual immorality is talked about differently than other sins. Um, I think we can see that Um, some sins have different consequences and different um, effects than um, like external effects and things that we see more um, explosively. Um, I think we're all guilty um, with sin, whether it's one or the other, but I do think that there's different. um, What's that verse you always use, Kevin? Um, I'm blanking right now um jesus says it
0: right he said a few i'm not sure (laughs) which (laughs) one Uh, really
1: really prepared for this podcast
0: (laughs) (laughs) um are you talking about where he says uh he tells the pharisees that they're straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel yes and that's where i think that um that in in the way jesus weighed things there are gnats and camels so so there are sins that have much more of an effect much much bigger consequences in this life. There are sins that are a bigger deal than others, um, but all sin alienates us from God. So so while it's not true that, you know, if you just commit, you know, some venial sins that you're okay before God, that's absolutely not true. The wages of sin is death. We're separated from God by even the smallest sin because he's infinitely holy and those sins are sins against his infinite holiness. Um, but that doesn't mean that all sins have the exact same weight and are equal. There are, are gnats and camels.
1: And we see that in our justice system. I mean, if someone murders someone, it's different than if somebody, you know, shoplifts a pack of gum.
0: Yeah. And and I think that it's like what what goes on in the heart could be the same thing sometimes. Like Jesus talks about it in Matthew 6, and we'll get to lust in one of the, the future weeks. But he talked about how lust in the heart is is you've already committed adultery if you've lusted in your heart. What he's not saying there is that lust has the same effect as adultery. But he's saying that like the content, what's going on in the heart of someone who lusts and the heart of someone who actually goes all the way and commits adultery, uh, the content of the heart is the same thing. And yeah. and so it's kind of like the uh, the content in a sewage pipe under your house is absolutely disgusting. But if that pipe breaks, that has way more of an effect. The content hasn't really changed at all, but you would much rather have it in that pipe. And and so certain sins can have way more effect and can do way more damage. Um but they're all bad and they all separate us from God. Yeah. And I think that's the
2: idea of this list, right? Like the, these are, these are like the heart issues that when they come to fruition have greater impact on our lives. And I think that was the idea of this list, right?
1: Yeah. And these are the more subtly, the ones that you, you don't hear people like Michael said in his sermon on Sunday, the ones you're not hearing people confessing in a counseling room um, are these, Are is this list, these things that, Probably all of us struggle with all of these things to some degree, but we're not really good at identifying them or naming them or repenting of them because they're so subtle. They're so pervasive. In some ways, they underline some of our identity, some of who we are as people. Um, And it's like we really have to dismantle, like let ourselves be made new in Christ in order for these things to really be exposed. We have to like be kind of broken apart so that these deeper pervasive things can be exposed within us.
0: Which brings up today's sin that we'll talk about. Um, we're going to start with with the one that is probably probably the one that people are, are the least aware of when it's going on in our lives, and that is the sin of greed. Um, you know, as Michael said in his sermon this last week. I'm not sure when this podcast will air, so we might be a couple weeks after that when it does. But uh, as he said in his sermon this last week, you know, of all the meetings that people have with us to come in and confess their sin and tell us what they're struggling with. Uh, it's never happened that uh, that someone has come in and confessed greed. And Tim Keller said the same thing in his sermon. I think I think Tim Keller listens to Michael's sermons and and takes material sometimes, and so that's where where that came from. But but it's true. I mean, we we've heard it all. We've heard people lay out their sins and their hearts, and we've heard a lot of really dark things as people talk about what they're struggling with. But there's never been a time where someone has sat down and said, "I feel like the big thing that I'm struggling with is greed." But Jesus talks about it a lot, which means that we are probably not very aware of that one. Um, Why do you think that is? Well, I think, and Michael talked about this, it's very easy for us
2: to see that in other people. Um, I think uh, especially, I, I think the stereotype is we're looking at the ultra rich people, especially I think, you know, in the last number of years in our and our culture as is the anti-capitalism movement has grown and it's easy to look at the 1%, right? We heard that a ton, still do. And look at those and the CEO of the banks and uh, and Jeff Bezos, I mean, those are the greedy people in, in the world. Uh, we're not uh, because we don't have a lot. And so I think that's definitely one of the biggest mistakes when we think about greed, that it's only the rich who can suffer from it when, when in reality, uh, it, it has nothing to do with what we have. Um, the poor can be just as greedy as the rich. It's that that hunger for to want more selfishly, uh, to not be content with what we have, um, to look at you know what other people have and want that to, to keep it for ourselves. And so I think that's why I think we have the stereotype that's only the super, super wealthy and we never think of ourselves as wealthy. We always think of someone who has more than us as wealthy and think they're the only ones who can suffer from greed.
1: And I think we also make the mistake of only qualifying greed with finances. Like I think we can do it with all of our resources on um, food, whatever provision we have, we, we can be greedy with those things and hoard those things and then really talk ourselves into why it's okay that we're doing that. Well, there's a, you know, there's a pandemic, so I really can't afford to be as generous. I'm just going to make sure that we have 20 pallets of toilet paper Um, you know, whatever the thing is that we, we, we are really good at explaining why we're okay with our greed, why someone else's is terrible, but we give ourselves a pass because we have good intentions of why we're doing this and why we're not being as generous or why we're hoarding or why we're, whatever the thing is that we are not being contented or not trusting the Lord in that we've decided we need to be greedy in order to protect ourselves and take care of ourselves in this thing. I mean, I think greed is like a, you know, it's a trigger word. Like people hear that I'm not greedy, but like, if you look at the actions of it, then that would be the definition of it. So to use the word is really important because it makes us uncomfortable to acknowledge what we're actually doing in these things.
0: Yeah. And you both mentioned discontent as sort of the, maybe the root of this root sin, like that we, we are not, we're not content with what the Lord has given us, whether it's our station in life, our marital status, our, uh, our finances, our jobs. Like we, we feel like I just need to have more. And you know, we're like that guy in Luke who says, I have had a great harvest. I need to tear down my barns and build bigger barns to put my harvest in it. And then that'll be enough. Then I'll be able to rest and enjoy the rest of my life and I'll have plenty of food saved up for years. And it we can look at our current state in life, be very discontent with it, and just think that just a little bit more will satisfy. Who was it? Was it Rockefeller who Someone asked him, like, how much money is enough? And he said, just one more dollar. Pull that up, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, it was Rockefeller. <laughs> so. um, well, and I
1: think greed is one of those things, I it, like, um, it, it's in a lot of lists in Scripture when Paul is addressing sins. And it's always interesting to me because it's one of those things that it's like Paul will address some sins that I'm like boy, yeah, that's a terrible sin, you know, in my own judgmental, whatever, he'll have a list. um, And then he'll be like, and greed, and selfishness. And it's like, whoa, 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 hold on. yeah, That's not as bad as the other ones you just said, Paul. So can you like, maybe have a little bit of a, you know, sentence break there, but it's it's in that list of like, these are the things that we do. Um, And we're not above it just because we are Americans or because we're middle-class or lower-class like this is we have to identify this within ourselves um and not just look for it in everybody else you know if everybody else was, was less greedy then I would finally be happy like that's ridiculous you know
0: yeah and, and like you said it's not connected to how much somebody has like it I I've known people who are very wealthy and who are wildly generous and don't seem to be defined by their stuff at all and mm-hmm. And I've known poor people who are also wildly generous and not defined by their poverty. And I think you can kind of tell with can you interact with someone as a brother or sister who is a very different um, like socioeconomic class than you? and And if you can't, and I think this can go both ways. Like I've known plenty of people who are poor who feel like they can't hang out with the rich because you know if I pull into their driveway in in the piece of garbage that I drive, um, then they will be looking down at me. I'll always feel like I want something from them. I don't think I, I can interact with them. Like you, you can actually see some of those symptoms of of greed, that I'm going to be defined by stuff, whether it's having stuff or my lack of stuff. And, and the same thing with rich people that just stop hanging out with anyone who doesn't drive the car that they drive or live in the kind of neighborhood that they do. We can be really defined by those things, but we don't have to be. There are plenty of rich people who are absolutely fine hanging out with the poor and seeing them as brothers and learning from them. And there are plenty of poor people who are, are fine just moving across the the spectrum and hanging out with people who are, are rich or poorer than them and not at all feeling like, uh, we're not unified or we're not one, or there's some real fundamental difference in between us.
1: And I think we see with things like the prosperity gospel, and if I'm moving in a direction you don't want me to go to, just stop. But, it's a good transition. <clears throat> um, this implication that more equals God's love and blessing in your life, that if you have more then it means that God loves you and you're doing well and you're, you're doing enough for him. So he's going to bless you. And the problem with that is what that does to our minds. Even if you don't think you ascribe to the prosperity gospel, if you don't have whatever you deem is enough, what would be enough in your life, whether that be things, people, provision resources, if you don't feel like you have enough, then there, there might be a part of someone that thinks, well, God doesn't love me, or I must be not, you know, doing enough for him, or I must not be earning enough or or giving, you know, starting to get into that thought process of the prosperity gospel, which really is like a works-based gospel um, that thinks we can earn these things and that that's where joy is, that's where the blessing is, is in the accumulation of these things.
0: So if we don't believe in a prosperity gospel, so if we don't believe that like being faithful to Jesus will mean that I'm going to be wealthy or that, that faithfulness to Jesus necessarily produces wealth. What would we do with a verse like Proverbs 10, 22, where it says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it? Yeah, I think
2: uh, how I would answer that would, would be that, that the Lord does provide for his children. He does take care of his people. I mean, we do see that promise over and over again. Even Jesus himself, the next passage I'll be preaching on this Sunday... Um, was right after Michael's passage that's the idea that that the father looks at his children and provides um, and and because of that we can be incredibly generous that's the point Jesus is making is we're not going to go without in our generosity God's going to take care of of his people Uh, the danger is is sometimes we define that abundance and we define um, the riches that God gives us in unbiblical ways so we only think of having a big bank account. We only think of having a promotion or a better, bigger house, better car, health um, in material ways without recognizing the spiritual riches we've been given in the gospel. Um, and and so, yes, the Lord provides for his people, but we have to make sure that we're, we're defining provision in the right way.
0: Yeah. And I think that's uh And there is a principle in the Bible, and it's 2 Corinthians 9. It talks about the principles of sowing and reaping, especially in regards to our generosity. And so it does describe our generosity as sowing, meaning that we're planting something that we can expect to reap. And whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully, which is absolutely true. And so we can give generously with the real expectation that God will bless this. And God will allow me to reap something from this but the big mistake is that we assume that if we're sowing something financially that we will necessarily reap financially that that if I put in the extra hundred bucks in the offering plate I can expect that this week I'm gonna get an extra thousand somehow just mailed to me by by magic that 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 somehow that will happen. And God does do those things. Like God does bless us financially and he does take care of us. And so it's not like material blessings are outside of what God does for his kids. But sometimes when we give sacrificially, we give till it hurts. It actually does hurt. It actually does cost us something. And we may be reaping something totally different. We may be reaping something that's not material. We may be reaping something uh, that is the the blessing of having sown that money is that we're reaping something better. And It's kind of like when you plant seeds in the ground, what you reap is not the exact same thing as that seed. Right. It's it's something different and bigger and better. And so we shouldn't expect that all of our financial sowing is going to produce financial reaping. So is is wealth bad?
1: I don't think it's bad, but I do think Jesus warns that it can be a stumbling block and it can become idolatry. Um, So I think anyone who acquires wealth, whether that be inheritance or through work, I think that they should be on guard. Even, you know, as Americans, we really are in the wealthy percentage of the world, like with what we have. Um, We should be aware that it's an easy temptation to fall into, to, to make wealth our God, to make money our God. I don't think it's wicked to be wealthy. But I think that scripture is full of warnings to say, hey, just you have to be on guard against this thing and be diligent against to, to make sure you're uh, aware of it.
2: Yeah, I agree 100 percent. So exactly what Andrea said and what you just said, Kevin, that that the Bible does talk about um, abundance and provision and God blessing us. And many times sometimes that is uh, material, and so there, there isn't anything in scripture that says having a lot is bad or evil, just like it doesn't say having little is evil or bad. Um, however, it, having a lot does bring with it challenges. It does bring with it temptation. So just um, like Proverbs 15, 27 uh, says, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. In other words, there's, there's a, there's a um, wanting more, having this greed in our heart actually brings trouble to us And then uh, I would connect that with First Timothy six, where Paul is is encouraging Timothy, who's a young pastor, uh, to um, really um, encourage the rich people in his congregation just to be on watch. It's it's not hey tell your people to give everything they own away because it's horrible and evil and they're sinning. It's hey you need to be careful to guard your heart to not put your hope in your riches uh, rather than in God. And and with that he says um, to Uh, verse 10, he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs or sorrows. So the idea again is there's a danger there that you can really harm yourself if you don't guard yourself from this
0: love of money or this greed. Mm -hmm. I think we believe the lie that money can do for us what only Jesus can do for us. And I think Mm -hmm. you see that pulled out like in Luke 12, 15, where Jesus says, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Like we can come to believe that my life consists in my stuff, that, that my life is all about the stuff that I have. I'm defined by my status. I'm defined by my car. I'm defined by these things. And, and if we start to think my life won't be what it could be, if I lose my stuff, we've put our stuff in the place of God. Mm-hmm. where stuff is a, a blessing from God. And that's when Proverbs 10, 22 says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he has no sorrow with it. Like there are people who end up having a lot of stuff in life. And as Americans, we are probably among them. And I don't think we have to feel guilty if we have honestly earned stuff or stuff that we have received as gifts or whatever, like that, there, there's not a guilt that goes with that, but there is a real caution that mm-hmm. this can start to define you. You can feel like you don't have life if you don't have that stuff. Um, and and to continually cultivate contentment with what you have and and to check your heart when you are endeavoring to go out and get more stuff there there are good reasons to get more stuff so that you can manage it well and be generous to others and provide for your family but also you've got to check your heart because there can be really bad reasons to get more stuff and and we can expect stuff to be our safety and our protection it's the Hebrews 10 or Hebrews 13, five and six, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I, I know like sometimes that I can have daydreams of what it would be like if I were independently wealthy, because then what could man do to me? Um, Like I, I could say whatever I wanted in every conversation, and I could—I—I I, I feel like I would be untouchable. I'd be almost invincible because of of the pile of stuff I have. Hebrew says, "No, actually, what makes you confident is that the Lord is your helper. The Lord will not forsake you. It's not, um, you know, the Scrooge McDuck pile of of money that will secure you. Jesus actually can do that for you now. And so, like, some of the things that you want, like, man, I would love to just be able to say what I believe to be true in any conversation. I can actually do that now. Like, it, it's not a big pile of money that makes that possible. It is the fact that the Lord won't leave me or forsake me. And that's a
2: super important um, uh, thing to point out. I was going to talk about Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 as well, because this idea when he says, you know, you don't have to um, have this love of money. You don't have to encourage this greed or, or lean into it, but you can be content with what you have. Uh, he says the reason is as you just said that the Lord has said he will never leave us he will never forsake us and so this idea here um, it it, it's not that the Bible says don't be greedy Um, for the Christian it's it it, the Bible is teaching you don't have to be greedy but like you don't need to keep wanting more you don't need to be defined by your possessions because you have the Lord Um, and, and that's how the gospel really answers all of our our temptations for uh, various sins. It's not, it's not simply just don't do these things. It's, Hey, you don't need to do these things. You have the Lord, you have Christ. Um, And so to lean in this identity you have in Christ rather than uh, this identity you might find or the satisfaction you might find uh, in your possessions is so key.
1: Yeah. I think about people who I know who are really generous and there's a freedom about them. Like they're not chasing the things that I think they should be chasing. They don't really care about what you you name it brands or whatever the next cool thing is there. And it's not in like a, a snooty, like, no, I don't like those things. It's more just a freedom from it. Like it's not even on their radar. And like you were saying, Cody, I think that that's an invitation from the Lord that like, you don't actually need to be greedy because I actually like in Christ, we have everything we need genuinely it's not just a euphemism everything that our heart craves we find in christ and if we actually can get to that point of freedom what a gift to not be just looking at the next target on the next mountain of the next thing we have to accumulate or own or whatever it may be um you know you get around people like that and it's like okay what's (laughs) how do i get to be where you're at that's incredibly freeing i want to be free of this And I like, it does, it's not just a don't be greedy. It's, you don't have to be, you can be free of these things.
0: Yeah. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And like, that's what gives you all the freedom that you're after in accumulation is, is actually just godliness with contentment.
1: I I looked up this Chesterton quote in my minimal research, and that's exactly what you just said. There are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less.
0: Yeah, and then I think having said all of that, um there are people who who should be working very hard to go out and build things and to uh and part of that is accumulation, part of that is building up capital to to use and to invest and to do a lot of good with. And so so none of this should should bring a guilt on on a person who has to go out and invest during the week and has to produce money during the week and and who works hard and then earns a good income, and then is even motivated to say, I'd like to work a little harder and earn more income to provide for my family and for those around me. Those can all be good motivations. There are just all kinds of warnings about it, like that, that there's danger there. And so so Jesus doesn't say that wealth is a bad thing. Scripture does talk about wealth as a blessing from God, but there are warnings like crazy about it. It's similar to how Scripture talks about alcohol, where it's um, it is called a blessing from God but there are all kinds of warnings because we know that this can go bad and, and it's so easy to get drunk on materialism and to not realize that it's doing that to us and to give it, convince ourselves, you know, I could quit if I wanted and that, no, I'm okay. I, it's just a little bit for me and, and I think we can be blind to it. What what other, like, what strategies could we employ to, I mean, just assuming that this is a blind spot that we're going to have in in the U.S. especially, what strategies could we employ to, be able to see it in ourselves. I think, um, I think maybe I heard, maybe it
2: was David Platt who said it, he was teaching on this and I think, I think it was him and he said something to the effect, you know, Christians shouldn't, you know, shouldn't, um, try to have less than everybody else. in other words, like it's not wrong to make money. Christians should make money. However, Christians should spend their money differently. Uh, in light of eternity, in light of what we're called to and getting the gospel to the nations, caring for the poor, caring for those near us, caring for our own family, certainly, uh, we ought to spend our money differently than someone who doesn't have that hope in eternity. Um, and so I think one of those ways that we kind of check ourselves is is just very simply looking at where we spend our money, you know, where, where are we putting our money? What, um, oh, if, if I look at my bank statement, you know, what does most of my money go to? What does my budget allow for mostly? Um, is there room for generous giving? Um, if I'm saving up, I need to be honest with myself. Why am I saving up? Um, um, and, and so that, I think that's just a, just a very easy way to kind of, if, if we can be honest with ourselves to say, okay, here's where all my money is going. I mean, that's what Jesus says at the end of, of, of Luke 12 right where, where your treasure is your heart will be also um to to kind of identify those things and i think also too I, I think one other thing is if it what's your like what's your gut reaction when someone asks you for help like like if 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 a, a let's say you know I, I was a missionary so i had to ask i was fully supported by people by generous people generous churches that, that was all of my income i couldn't work and so i had to ask for, for money quite often um uh and so let's say a missionary comes to you and asks for support hey we, will you will you financially give to our ministry or if there's someone that you know that maybe has less than you do and they just need help with something i think it's i think it's a wise thing to think well if i was asked for help with what, like what's my gut reaction is it I'm gonna find a reason why I can't give or I'm going to say, ha- how can I make this happen? E- either I have some and I'm anxious to give or I can't, um, but maybe I can work something out so that I can help. Um, and I think you know, seeing where our money already goes uh, is a big part of kind of diagnosing where we are on the greed scale, I guess you could say, or kind of just our reaction to when people need our financial help.
1: And I would add, <clears throat> if- to ask like your spouse or maybe your roommate or somebody who watches your life closely, sees your life closely and ask them, do you see anywhere in me that I tend to find satisfaction and comfort in my material possessions or or you see that I'm hoarding? Do you see any place in me that I'm not maybe aware of where I've taken comfort in these things um, and where I put my hope in my finances or what I have and what I've accumulated? And give someone permission to speak into your life in that way with the intent of trying to change and trying to, um, repent and move towards generosity, move towards trusting in the Lord, moving towards contentment. Um, so your roommate might say, I don't see you hoarding stuff, but I noticed that, you know, maybe you spend a lot on eating out. Maybe you, maybe you really like have made that your identity, um, And talk through that with them. Well, you know, let someone push back against the way you spend your money, the way you keep and accumulate things. And you might find that there isn't a major area. It might just be a small area. Or if it's a blind spot to you, it's a blind spot because you can't see it. You need someone near to you who sees it that if you can't see it. So to be able to give someone permission to do that, lay down your defenses. That's why it should be someone you trust to ask, hey, is there something I'm not seeing here?
0: Right, and it should be someone who is is close to you, someone that you trust, just because sometimes the what one person does as an act of faith and generosity could be something that someone else is doing out of uh, finding their identity in a certain lifestyle. Like, for example, I know for me, I'll t- tend to take too much comfort in savings, like the, the savings will provide for me for the future. And so as a result of that, I might be... Way less prone to spend some of it and take my family out for dinner, um, and and so someone might look at me from the outside and say, "Wow, he really makes sacrifices. They don't go out for dinner a lot." But that could be just as much a lack of faith as anything else. And sometimes the faithful thing to do is is to say, "We're not going to save everything we could. We're actually going to spend and enjoy some of this," and and that's an act of saying because I trust that God will provide, that that He's our future, and that that He can handle the stakes once in a while. And he, he is a, a good and generous father who does give us all good things to enjoy. And sometimes that spending is an act of faith. Sometimes though, you can just feel like it. And if we're not hitting restaurants all the time, then I'm just not living the lifestyle that I want to live. And we're not being generous because we're doing that. And so I think having people around you who know you well and, and spouses can be good like that too.
2: Yeah, and I would just encourage people to um, see their role in providing for other people. You know, we say all the time that God will provide needs for people, and it's absolutely true. But the way he does that most often is through the generous giving of his people. Yep. Um, so, so to not say, well, God will provide for them. Yes, God will provide for them, but he does that through generous acts, generous giving. And so to, you know, don't remove yourself from the equation, you know, God is going to give, but he does it through his people. Um, So lean into that. Don't step back.
0: And it can look all kinds of different ways. I mean, it can be just, you're you're giving a gift to somebody, but it can also be if you're someone who has built a business and can provide employment for someone, what a blessing to bring someone in and give them a real job and give them a start, give them experiences, let them make some mistakes, mentor them as they go. That can be a wildly generous thing that you end up doing. It's not just writing a check to someone. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. people just need a check. They just need something to help them over over a hump, but sometimes they need an opportunity that you can be generous with. Sometimes they need someone who'll take a risk on them and you, you risk whatever you know, social capital you have to be a blessing to them. Just seeing everything you have as something that you can use for the good of, of other people around you, uh, whether that's money, whether that's certain privileges, whether that's access to people, a network that you have that you can connect other people to, just looking for ways to bless and, and like Jesus contrasts storing up treasures on earth with storing up treasures in heaven. Um, and when we're in a season of like storing up on earth, we're always thinking about it. Like, how do I you know pile up more money? How do I save this? How do I save this? How do I do like how do I do this investment? I think storing up treasures in heaven looks like that kind of engagement with how can I be a blessing to others? Like how can I give? How can I help other people? What could we do to to help people in this situation or what are these kinds of people or this neighbor or friend that I have? Where, where we go through our days looking for ways to bless people. And, and none of this should should make anyone think that, that they shouldn't save or shouldn't plan or shouldn't have fun, uh, but using our days to think, how do I spend my days giving what the Lord has given me in, in all kinds of categories, I think is the opposite of the, the greedy mindset.
2: Yeah, and then it's also understanding we do that not because, obviously, because we're trying to earn God's favor or uh, we're trying to prove how spiritual we are, how mature we are. We do it in response to what God's done for us in Christ, and that that was a great um, um, uh, point that Michael made, of course, last week in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, you know, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich, and so we're doing this. We want to be generous, obviously, because it does guard our hearts from from uh, the pain of greed, the pain that greed brings. So there's definitely that aspect to it, but we're, we're doing it in response to the gospel, what God's done for us in Jesus, laying down his riches so that we might be rich in him too.
0: Any final thoughts, Andrea?
1: No, I think it's, we, I'm agreeing with everything you guys are saying. Obviously our listeners can't see me nodding my head with everything you're saying. Um, I just think we have to be diligent in this thing. I think greed is really subtle. And it can look really noble, um, like Kevin, like you were saying. Um, it can look like protective, defensive, wise. And so to know when, to know the difference between wisdom and greed and to be on guard against it and really prayerfully be on guard against it in each situation, um, like you guys were saying, to, to make an effort to live ben, below your means so you have room to be generous, um, to not max out everything just because you can. Um, you know, to be willing and ready and able to give when the need is there, wh- whatever it may be, big or small, it's not really the amount, it's the heart behind it. And so I know for myself, I just, it's a daily check-in I think we need to have with the Lord and each thing that we do, even even as parents with our kids, like I would say to parents at home with their kids, like their heart towards their children, are you being generous with towards your children or are you being greedy with the things you have in your home and the things that you keep and your you know, all those things like it's not just those other people, I'm using quotes, those other people out there who we don't interact with much. It's the people in our life every day, your spouse, your kids, your roommate, um, your friends, your coworkers. Like, are we? do we have a spirit of generosity towards them? Or is, is greed infiltrating those relationships and those interactions? And so just to be aware of those things.
0: Well, I'll close with 1 Timothy 6.17. As for the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Till next time, this has been the Grace Roadshow.